everybody. Welcome to episode 25 of the Aviation Spotters podcast. I am your host, Colin Moser. As you guys can see from this title, you know this is going to be one hell of an interview. Before that, though, I just want to reflect on the last episode with Florian. and He provided some awesome perspective on aviation photography, don't you think? I really love the part when he says, I don't need the buffer that the D500 offers. I just need a one shot. And if you're at a location and nobody's around you, you're doing it right. And I really do feel that. I love that. If you guys haven't had a chance, please go back and listen to the episode. He does some awesome, awesome work. And he provides a really good perspective on photography and what his definition of aviation photography is. With that being said, though, let's bring on to episode 25. And my guest needs no introduction, but he's going to get one anyway. My guest today is the former editor-in-chief of Combat Aircraft Magazine. He is the founder of the Center of Aviation Photography, and he does all the photo work for the Fighter Pilot Podcast. So it is my absolute privilege and honor from Farnborough, England, to welcome Mr. Rich Cooper on the show. Rich, good evening. How are you doing? Hey, I'm really good. What an introduction. Goodness me, I can't, I can't believe it. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, it's a real honor to be here. I, I really enjoy doing these, um, this kind of like new me- media, isn't it? This new era of, of aviation photography communications that we're in at the moment. So it's an honor to be on, on here with you, Colin. It really is. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, think about it with COVID and all that. I mean, we, we couldn't go out to an airport. So I think a lot of photographers had to find another way just to communicate and, and talk to their friends and all that. And I think there's a lot of good stuff that came out of, out of uh, COVID. COVID, uh, when I definitely 100% agree with that yeah and I, I should also point out that Rich and I <laughs> we tried doing this a couple about <laughs> almost a month ago now a little over a month ago I can't believe you're bringing that up you don't need to do that dude you're all right <laughs> and I, it's funny it's it's funny for the listener to hear this but I would set a time right and I uh and I I, I instead of looking at the uh Great Britain Standard Time. I looked at uh, 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 UTC, and when we set upon a certain time, like okay, cool, I'll wake up at this seven a.m. Uh, come to th- come to realize that it was actually four a.m. when I should have been up. So, so. <laughs> oh dear. It's it's hard enough for for us to keep up with it over here, even you know what the what the plus ones are and summertime and everything else. But uh, you can you can quite easily blame Brexit if you like. You know, that it's, it's cool. <laughs> you know what's funny? Actually, when I met you very briefly at Star Wars Canyon twenty nineteen, that's yeah. actually what we talked about was Brexit. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. Uh, uh, anyway, so um, let's uh, let's get started, man. Uh, let's kind of get an introduction from so who you are, uh, where you're from, and and how and. Uh, and some just some things about you sure so yeah rich cooper uh run the center of aviation photography uh since 2015 that's my current uh output into the aviation photography world but i've been doing it quite a long time you know it's uh actually since i was seven years old would you believe so literally had my my dad put a camera in my hand at uh 1982 Farnborough Air Show and never really looked back since. That's a long time ago now. Um, and re- really quickly got into it, obviously, because my father was was such 
a, a prolific aviation photographer and journalist at, at the time, and still is to a degree, obviously, but back then, certainly. Um, well, I just used to be able to shadow him wherever he went, you know, working with the militaries all, all around the world, but specifically in the UK predominantly. And it was a very different world back then, wasn't it? You know, the, the security concerns and the way militaries operated and the classification levels and all of that was very different. So it was really easy for me as a you know, wide-eyed lad in short trousers to kind of go along with him on shoots. So it's, and we obviously also had huge air shows in the UK and Europe every weekend throughout the whole summer. You know, military air shows that open houses at, at these USAF bases and stuff. So it was really easy to get hooked, and I did hook, <laughs> line, and sinker. Um, so I actually had my my photo- first photograph published when I was eleven years old, and that was uh, of a of a phantom up at RAF Lucas. And it was just, you know, we were on holiday up there, dude. You know, it was just like literally a case of, oh, we're, we're in the area. Can we come in and take some photographs? And of course, you know, they said yes. And that really got me thinking, I like, I'd, I'd actually really like to go into the Royal Air Force as a photographer. Um, and then by the time that came around, at the right age, sort of like 16, 17 years old for the first kind of recruitment. Um, unfortunately, the RAF started shrinking. It's when all the budget cuts really started hitting. So that didn't actually happen. I didn't get to go into the RF as a, as a photographer, but looking back on it, it was, it was you know that's that's quite a good thing it happened in that way in the end. So I then went into publishing. Uh, cutting a long story short, there I, I was working at Heathrow Airport for an aviation media company, and I was responsible for like a weekly magazine, a monthly publication, bi-monthly, quarterly, annual. It was it was a crazy time. This isn't like early twenties, you know. So it was it was a quite a mad time. And whilst I was working on the weekly one. I met the editor of Aircraft Illustrated magazine, Alan Burney, absolutely fantastic chap. And we got on really well. And at the time, he needed a, a deputy to come into the magazine, Aircraft Illustrated, which at the time was Europe's largest aviation mag. And I, I joined and we, we did that. And we then also bought Combat Aircraft magazine. We bought that over from the, from the States to be a uh, UK-based magazine sold in America. And I ended up being editor of that uh, for, for a period of 10 years and then left that world in, where are we now, 2008 and just did it freelance, did a, a load of freelance stuff for a long time, uh, went away from aviation for a little while, about four or five years and did some youth charity work in, around my area. And then came back into it in 2015, <laughs> fully immersed in aviation photography with, uh, yeah, Co-op, the, the Centre of Aviation Photography, which is where we find ourselves today. Awesome. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, Co-op and a uh, little bit of time with Combat Aircraft here in a bit, but this, I just want to just kind of bring up a, just talk about something real quick. So you first went to Farnborough in 1982. Yeah, so, I was maybe even before that, but that's the first time with a camera for sure. I mean, that's and that's changed a lot in that time, just between yeah. like you, the, what the Cold War, and that's actually the, the start of the the arms race again with with the Soviets in the U.S. and what well, well at the time before everything shrunk, you, you said like everything started to shrink after the Cold War. What was your favorite uh, event back in the day to to att- uh, attend back in the U.K.? Absolutely, not, without doubt, the Mildenhall Air Fight. It was fantastic. There was a really unique uh, vibe to the place. I mean, we, we used to get in there super early, like, I don't know, half past five in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, and they're just firing up the, the burgers. They're actually called what they call wet burgers, which is this incredible sauce, like a secret sauce. No one really knew what was in it, but 
Goodness me, I got my mouth watering already. Right, and I, I found a picture of me the other day with eating three of these burgers <laughs> at like seven o'clock in the morning. Three burgers and a Mountain Dew for breakfast. It was absolutely extraordinary. And the static was awesome. And it was it was also one of the first big ones of the year. It was kind of like um, late May bank holiday weekend that used to take place. So it was a real season opener. And the, the, the amount of aeroplanes that were on static display and then the thing, the amount of air power that you'd see in the air during the flying display it was just absolutely amazing so yeah without question that that was that would be number one um then you've got things like the the alconbury shows and the the upper hayford open days and um the raf at home days that sort of thing the battle of britain shows i mean that this that period of 80s to 90s was was pretty special <laughs> to be alive in it's like anything though isn't it i suppose we could all say oh, i'd love to have been around in the 60s or the, and then those guys that were doing it in the 60s and 70s would be thinking oh i'd love to be around in the 50s you know so it, it is all relative but um certainly for me i'm very lucky to be able to at least look back on the 80s and 90s with uh with a little bit of memory that <laughs> was left <laughs> yeah and back before the that a really big accident happened in england too so a lot of yeah a lot of really you know balls to the wall type deal and all that and i mean i i got memories with my dad going to air shows uh, around here in idaho and back when uh-huh. Ma- mountain home was still flying the b1 <clears throat> And there's a little small airport called Caldwell Industrial uh, near the near the. If you look at the map of Idaho, it's near the uh, west end of the Treasure Valley. And my, I was God, this is like '97, '98. I was three, two or three. And my dad, um, he, he keeps telling me, he's like, "Yeah, we were just we we're just looking over here. Then all of a sudden, here comes a full sweep pass by the B1 on full burner to sneak pass." Dude, <laughs> doesn't get much better. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, you know, times have changed and all that, and there's a lot more safety aspect. And but also another part of this question is, um, what also other hobbies outside of aviation do you have? Nothing. It's my life. No. <laughs> it's, uh, it kind of is though. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I love football, uh, soccer. Uh, absolutely love playing it while I still can. I haven't got many more years left. Perhaps I shouldn't even be doing that anymore, but uh, it's, it really hurts nowadays. <laughs> and so I, I do enjoy that. And I love watching it with my son and uh, I help run his his team as well, which is great. Oh, cool. um, outside of that, it's like obviously family stuff is, is huge. We're, we're really blessed with, a, with an awesome family, both sides of my wife and I. So that's really cool. I love being an uncle. And our uh, food food culture traveling all that good stuff can especially yeah it's really nice um for for you guys over there just to be able to travel well back before covid but you know try to travel you know like all like all the countries the european countries that were, were close and all that i don't know how brexit's going to change and change any of that but that's not for this podcast um, yeah it won't be too bad it'll be all right but it, it's probably it's really nice that you guys are able to to within like a day's drive being like in Germany or Spain or something like that. Right. And then now for us, it's just like, well, <laughs> and McDonald's is the same, no matter where you are in the <laughs> state. So, um, I mean, I am pretty jealous of, of that. Uh, real quick. Uh, so you're, since you're a football fan of a European football fan, because you know, I don't know why we call it football anyway. Um, <laughs> what's, what's your, uh, what's your favorite team? Southampton. Okay. Yep underachievers 
you've got to be a real fan to support them. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, well, that weirdly that that also goes back through the generations as well because that that's that's from my dad and then through me and onto my son as well. So oh, cool. Yeah, that's been in, in the family forever, and I love going to watch them. It's just the whole the whole scene is brilliant, but it's it's as frustrating as it is good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I think the equivalent to that is being a Mariners baseball fan here in the states, and I'm, and I, I am a Mariners fan, so I understand the. I understand the, the the pain and all that and all that good stuff. So, man, seven years old, farm bro, your dad got you into that, man. That's a that's a, that sounds just like a great way to get into it. And you know, you said he put a camera in your hand around seven about seven years old. So, speaking of cameras, uh, what's uh, what's your current setup that you use? So, I, I use a mixture of uh, full frame and crop sensor actually on on the Nikon systems. And uh, I use a D5 for my full frame stuff and a D7200 for my crop sensor stuff. Uh, it's quite useful to have a crop sensor in the mix as well, just purely because of the distances involved nowadays. I mean, you mentioned earlier that the big accident that we had over here, the Shoreham disaster, and that, that's obviously pushed crowds further away and aircraft higher. So, you know, having a, a crop sensor is quite useful. It's also a smaller, lighter body um, and it's flat. So I can get all sorts of angles that I wouldn't necessarily be able to get with the huge beast that is the d5 uh around my neck so the d5 is awesome i love the low light performance i love the speed i love the autofocus performance and just the general toughness of the body although i have you know i do treat my gear probably not quite as carefully as i should i don't know it, it's, it's a tool right and you know working in the environments that i work in it's it's not always very easy to be that precious about your gear so it does it does get the rough treatment and certainly the that i've found you know from my personal stuff that uh, the nikons do handle it pretty well um i have had some spectacular disasters with them of course as well but where i don't think any camera would survive but uh yes this is a nikon setup and in terms of lenses um i'm i really like to make sure that my coverage has no gaps because it's you know if you if you had a gap of like in the 80 millimeter range, for example, that you know, say you had a 24-70 and then a 100-300 lens or something, you guarantee that the next aircraft you shot on approach or whatever would always fill, <laughs> fit that gap, you know, it's really annoying. So I do like to have zero gaps in my coverage. So I can, with the, with the full frame and the crop sensor, um, mathematics kind of factored in, I've got everything from a 10 millimeters to a 750 millimeters. Um, mixture of uh, predominantly Nikon, 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 and uh, Sigma. Wow, that's that's pretty. That's incredible to have that full range, and that's something I'm trying to get done right now. I think. Yeah, it does. I, it does help. Yeah, it really does. My, I think my next big purchase for me will probably be the 70 to 200 Canon because uh, I got the 24 to 70, and then the 7200 be nice. And then I currently use the 100 to 400. So, like I said, I love to have all the coverage that. Um, that would be preferable. So, all right, Nikon user, and um, yeah, let's start. Let's get into the little more aviation uh, specific stuff. So, what is your favorite aircraft of all time? All time, it's got to be the F four. I, I just, it just epitomizes air power for me. Uh, just the, the the amount of different operators that it's had, the looks, the the double canopy, the bent wing. Uh, the amount of weapons it can carry, how how it looks good from any angle, um, I think that's that's got to be number one. But uh, I would I would also say like I had a real soft spot for the A10 when I was a kid. 
I remember sort of standing underneath uh, one, one of these one of these shows. I think it was uh, an Alconbury show that we mentioned earlier, and just having you know the, the size of that that incredible gun, literally the size of my face. <laughs> Yeah. You know, my, and that was a gun you know it's like oh my goodness so and the fact that the pilot sat on this this bathtub of aluminium and it could do all this amazing stuff yeah that that was that was a real inspiration for me as a as a, as a kid and then i um anything kind of cold war related is is awesome and i, I grew up in that era of the uh having the mig 29 as a real mystery you know and it being the the, the epitome of, of russian air power and the capabilities no one really knew the shape of it even really when it when it was first came out and then uh no one knew the capabilities of it and then we saw it for the first time over here and now i've you know been on deployment with them i've been on their home bases i've flown with them you know what i mean so the the shape of the mig-29 will always capture something of my heart because it's kind of like a real uh it's the epitome of the enemy fighter quote unquote isn't it you know but yeah. still therefore hands down <laughs> well, hey fabulous phantoms forever right yeah right <laughs> so it's kind of building off what you said so you've deployed and flown with the mig 29 so yeah can you can you let's elaborate on that a little bit yeah sure so uh I'm, i've done quite a bit of work with the uh, polish air force and i've uh photographed them over in russia and uh malaysia uh and north korea <laughs> Um, Germany, when they had them, uh, probably some more air opera, air arms as well that I can't think of at the moment, but yeah, they're predominantly the Polish air force I've, I've worked quite closely with. That's pretty cool. So what's it like being up in a MiG-29, especially how you just said it was like kind of those mystery fighters and, yeah. you know, the predominant of like, this is the Soviet air power back in the day and stuff like that. And that was what everybody was worried about. So what was it like being up in that? So short and sweet. <laughs> because <laughs> because the range is absolutely terrible. <laughs> so and also to clarify, I I, I haven't been in one. I've I've flown with them. So I, oh, I, I, I fly, see, you I know, see. with um, transport aircraft with the with the cargo war, cargo doors down, etc. I, I haven't actually had the privilege of flying in one yet. It's, it's all been photography sorties. Oh, okay. So from uh, from that kind of platform. Okay, I see. Well, still though, I mean, either way, getting to see one from the air like that, and, absolutely, you know, it just has that. It's menacing. It really it is. is, and and the 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 way that you can you can tell because it obviously flying in a cargo type plane, you know, when the car, the, the doors down, you when you're flying with a fighter, the, the similar airspeed is is a real factor. You know, the MiG twenty nine is is fast. It doesn't like to be flying slow at all. It's not built for that. Um, whereas a, a cargo plane with the uh, with the ramp down is obviously aerodynamically terrible so it's it's the the, the uh, cargo plane will be as absolute max trying to you know stay in say as fast as it possibly can whilst the mig-29 is as slow as it possibly can so that requires mm -hmm. quite a, a bit of skill from the pilot and what that translates to in terms of a mig is lots of smoke <laughs> yeah. so you know you can literally see every single throttle input from the pilot because every time he moves it a tiny bit there's this belch of black smoke that comes out the back of it so which which obviously looks incredible from a photography point of view but it's uh um tactically quite interesting to see as well because the visibility of a of a smoking mig-29 up in the heavens is is quite remarkable <laughs> yeah that must have that must be 
pretty cool to, to see it to see in person and uh, yeah yeah just that aircraft those flowing lines how it just flows like that and it's just a it's a very very pretty pretty aircraft in general too favorite aircraft to take a photo of i'm assuming it might have been the phantom back in the day and, uh, uh yeah i uh, do you know what it's, it's easier to kind of categorize that I, I would say in my mind with anything with smoke i l- absolutely love the dirty smoky jets but at the same time, I also would love to shoot prop liners or old airliners. You know, anything like that that's that's old and smoky works for me. Uh, so like B fifty two. Oh yeah, perfect. Yeah, all, absolutely. All <laughs> yeah, damn right. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah, those old prop prop liners. Unfortunately, the uh, Ericsson Aero Tankers just retired the mm. last DC seven from mm. from active uh, fire service out here in the west. And I think Everett's Everett still has their DC six going up in Anchorage. Yep. So is they that's do. On my, that's on my list to, to go and take a photo of. Yeah, for and sure. For, fortunately, it's Alaska, and when I wanted to go up there in the winter, I would have had three hours of light. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like. Eh. So you guys have the Red Bull stuff down in Austria, right? With yes. DC seven and yeah. some other stuff. Yeah, that's a really impressive outfit, and even there headquarters is magnificent just to see you know it's it's beautiful it's such an amazing design and there's like an incredible restaurant there it's a real experience just going to the hangar you know it's not just a hangar <laughs> they really do things well over there so uh and the, the fleet is is immaculate as well i mean there's some some people that might say that you know if you're going to see a p38 you need it in authentic world war ii markings and it to be looking like a war machine right but obviously red bulls is is you could practically eat your dinner off of it it's beautiful it's just this silver polished silver and there's not a a spot on it but um it is incredibly impressive for what it is it it, they're they're an amazing outfit yeah i mean i've seen those videos and those pilots are some world-class pilots that are able to fly those things moving it on here um so you're not really an airport sort of photography person from what i've gathered so i mean if you have a favorite airport to go take photos at uh what is it but if also what other like events or outside locations do you enjoy doing also well i mean by airport do you mean sort of like outside the the base at yeah, outside the fence at a base kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah like I, I love that. Spotting. I absolutely love that. I think if aviation is such a, a, a strange pursuit sometimes, isn't it? You you kind of have to be so passionate about it to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you need the patience of a saint and, you know, you need to be thick-skinned. You need to have oh, all these different things just to be able to make it work and take a single photograph, you know. It's, it's, quite, it's quite a tricky pursuit to be involved in. So I... Because it is a passion, I, I would love to sit outside a base for a day. I, I do that regularly. <laughs> it's, oh. Yeah, man, I, I would I would do that anytime. Um, so I think that that does then portray the fact that it is a it's a I'm an enthusiast at heart still. You know, I, I, I'd love to sit outside a, a base and see what happens. In fact, to the point, I, I don't generally even do the the kind of ADSB type, you know, flight tracking stuff. If I'm going to go and sit outside a base I'd, i like to be surprised i want to i want to relive that kind of like you don't know what's coming in and anything you yeah. get's a bonus kind of thing you know um yeah, the good yeah, old days. yeah a little bit a little bit perhaps show me age though i don't know <laughs> so that being said though what is your favorite uh um, airport then to go sit outside the fence for a day that's another tough question there colin because i'm very fortunate to have 
be traveling is is kind of like my my main thing is what i do um so having one in particular is hard it's easier to 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 almost list countries um so somewhere like switzerland is is an absolute favorite of mine um in terms of the the scenery is just spectacular the light is beautiful very unpolluted and then the access that you get around the, the airfields there, the bases, it's like you're on an operational visit every time. And the weather can change in an instant. So it's always a, a challenge for light and challenge for, you know, the elements and battling rain and snow and then beautiful sunlight and uh, against these gorgeous valleys and with with a lot of action you know switzerland is, is a cool place it, it kind of stops being cool when you then hit the hotel and it's like 10 bucks for a beer in the evening <laughs> but up to that point it's, it's amazing <laughs> so switzerland's pretty high i also love japan uh yeah any anything in japan is amazing and there's there's a particular place in Japan down down the south, one of the islands called Okinawa, and they've got a place there. Uh, well, the, the, there's like a concentration of Japanese air power uh, on the island and American air power, so it's it's quite a strategically important place. So there's a lot to see, um, both from a military point of view and a civil point of view there's some, some really cool things to see there and it's on a tropical island that's that's pretty special uh and then in the states it's got to be uh nellis is just because it's nellis what a place i love it uh so i really enjoy visiting nellis at any time um and the whole region right you know that going up to into nevada and seeing what you can see in the desert and that kind of stuff is on a road trip is just absolutely magical um and but probably edged out just by that would be alaska uh just purely because of the the, the atmosphere of, of and how important aviation is up there it's uh you know i've never seen a way of life rely on aviation like i did in alaska it's, it's phenomenal if you live out in the wilderness, you have a bush plane and stuff. And Alaska aviation is just, just so different than this regular aviation in the lower 48. But yeah, you have to see Ellis, it to believe it, almost, don't you? Oh, absolutely. You got you got little bush planes going underneath the landing path at Anchorage with all the 747s and stuff, and it's it really is. It's a whole different world up there, and um, you know I would love to fly up there in Alaska because that's where I think real pilots in the states are made up there. Is, you know, You're you go right. fly up there, you go fly bush, you know, you you just have to shoot actual instrument approaches and real deal up there. Those guys are are real. Those are the real pilots, man. But yeah, Nellis. God, you can't ever go wrong with the day at Nellis. No, <laughs> it's just awesome, isn't it? The, the amount you'd see and oh yeah, the, and and how historic the place is and. Just, yeah, it's really the, the tip of the spear, that place. It's amazing. Yeah, and that's why I also did that in that, um, uh, my little bonus episode with uh, Michael Grove. Oh, yeah, yeah, so legend. Is, Another is legend. A, oh, <laughs> the, the Nellis OG. Yeah. You know, and he said, like, yeah, I was out here in the 1960s taking photos, and I'm like, what a, what a wow. guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, remember how we said earlier, it was like, if we go back, damn, I wish I could go back then? I mean oh man just imagine being out there with no fence in this in the 60s yeah. and the 70s like the century series fighters flying out of there and everything like that hmm <laughs> fortunately we had we've got guys like michael that that are able to show us a little bit of what it was like right absolutely absolutely and i hopefully i can get him back on here for a feature length episode because i think that'd be fantastic to get his story so 
what uh what other events do you like attending um we have to be the air shows the low levels or um any of that sort of sense yeah i suppose low level uh epitomizes that thrill of the chase for me i i really do enjoy being out in in nature and uh you know waiting for something to happen uh much in the same as it's like fishing isn't it you know you, you just you just can't say what's going to come around the corner you don't know there's no radar for it you know it really is just a potluck and what a place to spend it you know there's some beautiful territory over here in the uk with with wales and the lake district and scotland that that uh is, is just if you never see anything for a week you've still had a great week you know and it was very much the same for me in uh in death valley as well you know what again what a place to be just to just to spend your days just in the desert there in death valley it was just absolutely incredible so uh, those two places are very special to my heart there's no no doubt about it i, I do enjoy shows you know i, I particularly american shows I, I they've got a real flavor of their own and i probably just to buy the t-shirts and the patches though to be honest <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, and the burgers obviously without saying oh, yeah. yeah clearly yeah. but uh yeah they're, they're always good and the weather's obviously generally 99 percent great over in the states for a show so that's all good little oddball question which burgers do you prefer the u.s air show burgers or the wet burgers from uk shows well they're kind of the same now you could wet burgers in the uk were were, were done by the the air force crews at mildenhall and they, <laughs> they will never be beaten no matter who you are where you are <laughs> in professional chef michelin star whatever uh those guys doing burgers in a in an old oil barrel cut in half at uh, Mildenhall air shows will never be beaten but okay, aside yeah. from that because they don't they don't do it anymore and uh, the the sauce hasn't ever been replicated since um it's got to be the states it's got to got to be you know you quirky you go to you, <laughs> the, the the stuff i've eaten at, uh, <laughs> at any show in america has just been awesome it's just yeah that's that's, that's part of the fun <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah and then you go back home and then a couple of hours later you're not feeling too well <laughs> uh, uh, so, so before we you, if you get off topic about what who has the best burgers um, with you going out to Star Wars Canyon a lot and out to the mock loop uh, what were your favorite passes at the Star Wars Canyon and then what was your favorite passes at the mock loop oh wow okay so Star Wars would have have to have been the the guys that uh, flew the F thirty fives out of Edwards with the with the Dutch Air Force. Uh, they they were amazing, you know. And not only was it amazing to work with them with along with uh, the guy called Frank Krabus to to make some photography of their low level training, um, but it was also interesting from another F thirty five operator to to sort of see how the Dutch really grabbed the project by the scruff of the neck. You know, because they, they were literally next door, Ed, Edwards, to the UK guys developing uh, the systems. But they had such a different approach to how they were going to undertake the flight test and what was required and, and their flexibility or not. And I, honestly, it was it was eye opening to, to see how how forward thinking they were in, in terms of uh, really ringing the jet out to see its performance capabilities at low level, etc., uh, totally different approach to any any other F thirty five operator. So that that would, would absolutely stand out for me. The, the F thirty five through uh, Star Wars Canyon that we did um, a few years back, and over here in the UK, uh, the 
the F-15E strike eagles of the 48th fighter wing are always spectacular. They're, they're gorgeous. They look the part and they're flown brilliantly. And they, uh, because of the atmosphere we, we get over here, obviously there's a lot of vortices and uh, condensation over the wings and stuff. So it's very atmospheric when they throw them around through the, through the valleys. So that always looks cool. But I'm, I'm going to have to say that it's the, the Tornado GR4s that, that will win hands down because those guys, I mean, they, they're a different breed or were a different breed in terms of low-level attack. You know, that's what that jet was built for and that's what the crews were trained for. So they're, they're flying through areas of, of the low-fly low system over here at, like, at 100 feet, you know. I mean, that it's unbelievable <laughs> that that they're training to to fly and fight at that level at that speed so seeing a, a tornado at low level with its wings swept back 67 degrees wing sweep hurtling through at uh, 100 feet is is something i it's probably one of the was one of the finest sights in aviation i would say yeah man that would have been awesome to see that it's a real powerhouse and they're sadly missed as well oh my goodness yeah <laughs> the RAF is a shadow of what it used to be in terms of air power and number of types it's a very capable fighting force but we have you know from an enthusiast point of view at least uh lost a lot in in recent years and that's although it's sad you know the RAF is is an amazing machine at what it does and we'll be all the better for it eventually um like you know we've we've now got f-35s on our own aircraft carrier again crikey you know it sailed sailed out of the uk in the last couple of weeks didn't it and that's quite something you know that's pretty amazing as a brit watching that happen um but yeah you, you know i miss the tornadoes and that's okay too <laughs> yeah the tornadoes and ashley when and ashley wallace's episode talked about the harriers getting the, the old okay harriers yeah, yeah another one there. jaguars yeah totally yeah yeah, yeah. just you know, I agree, and I love seeing that all those British-built aircraft back in the day, the, the electric lightning and stuff like that, and uh, you know, seeing all that that sort of stuff. And uh, I actually watched a documentary about the RAF and how England was leading aircraft development in like the fifties and all that, and just, yeah, and just kind of stagnated in a way, and unfortunately, and I mean, yeah, I would have loved to see the uh, the tornado down low and. And, yeah, and just and unfortunately, a lot of the European stuff in the states was was pretty rare. Um, actually, it was I, before I got into to aviation photography um, in two thousand eight up here in Idaho. You know, you talked about the Phantoms earlier. There's an exercise called Mountain Roundup, and this is all right. And the yeah, Germans, I don't know that one. And the, yeah, the Germans came over. I, I think mm -hmm. a red flag, and then they came up, and they had the tornadoes and the phantoms on the right. guard, the guard ramp in Boise. <laughs> nice. And yeah, it was it's pretty cool to to have seen the 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 phantoms with you know the Iron Cross and then the German flag on the tail, and then realizing that was the last ever active phantom on our ramp. You know, Idaho, wow, Idaho that's a moment. Yeah, Idaho flew the Phantom from 1975 to 1996, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden the fan was back for like a couple of weeks. And then I think everybody who was a Phantom guy was out there. Nice. And uh, to see the the last ever launch of a Phantom from, and it was it wasn't an American one too. It was a it was a German one. And then the, and the I, I, I you know with the tornadoes being out there, I think nobody really cared about the tornadoes. They only cared about, <laughs> yeah. about the Phantoms, but. Um, yeah, luckily I, I've seen the German ones at Nellis, so can't complain about that. No, no RAF ones, unfortunately, but hey, it's just my fault for not getting over there in time, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, I've seen the shots from the F-35 day at Nellis, sorry, no, Star Wars Canyon, and oh my god. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> those those <laughs> are the, some of the most stunning images I've seen come out of there, I think, ever. Like, that was, oh, even, man. That was just fantastic. Oh man, it's just, it, it was it was amazing. It was amazing. Well, you know, full credit to the the pilots yeah, as as always, right? You know, oh, we're, yeah. we're just standing there. We can say what we want and have all the ideas, but it, it's down to them to execute it. Exactly. And, uh, they they yeah, they nailed it. Obviously, yeah, <laughs> they were brilliant. <laughs> I know one of the one of the things at Star Wars Canyon was if you ever heard Archer call in, yeah, you were in for a good time. You were in for a treat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So what about the rarest aircraft you have ever taken a photo of? Well, it, 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 this... You, I know you've seen, you spot, you took a lot of photos of a lot of aircraft, but uh, if, you, if you can narrow it down to like... like... Sure. I, it's pretty, that one's pretty easy. Um, it's, it has to be the North Korean MiGs. That, that was ridiculous. Yeah. North Korean Air Force MiG-29s, MiG-21s, and Su-25s etc <laughs> oh. those jets i can't believe i'm even saying that i've done it you know it's it's that that crazy yeah without doubt <laughs> and that's the one son air show it Wonsan was show? yeah that's it yeah 2000 september 2016 yeah so what was it like being first of all what was it like being in north korea <laughs> <laughs> well like i said it, it i still to this day like what's that now four four five years on uh struggle to put it into words it, it was it was extraordinary and it really was extraordinary you know you didn't really know what it was going to be like at all you've seen the news you've seen the media and the press and everything else and you know politically and geopolitically and everything else that was going on and you know bear in mind at the time 2016 there was a lot of uh red button missile pushing <laughs> going on yeah. you know there was there was missile tests going off left right and center and it was a really it was quite a, a hot time so to be going over there and uh going to what was actually called a friendship festival you know honestly you you weren't sure whether it was kind of going to be some sort of political porn type thing there was going to be some you know whether you're going to come back you know i know it sounds over dramatic but it, you know it really did enter your mind and so much so that a lot of people didn't go because of it you know there was literally just a handful of of, of crazy people that thought yeah i'm, I'm gonna I'm, i believe what they're saying i'm gonna go for this uh, i think they were expecting around five thousand people and there were like 170 or something, 200. It, it, it was a few years back now, but it was that kind of level, you know, 150, 250, that kind of like bracket of people that went. And uh, it, even on the days we were there, you didn't quite know what you were seeing was real or not, whether it was being staged or not. And yet it seemed so natural. So how could it be staged? Yeah. And then you'd look into it a little bit deeper and there'd be something there that would just be like, well... That just doesn't add up, and you come away from the day with more questions than you went into it. <laughs> it was just, it was just incredible. Absolutely, one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I'm, I'm yeah. gonna, gonna say that. Damn, that's I'm lost for words right now. But that must have been so cool. It's not just to experience and kind of take a, a step back in time as well. Yes. Also, just to, to experience like you're not one of the very few people in the world that said i've seen the north korean air force pretty much and yeah do their thing. yeah i mean they, the north koreans don't see it you know it's, it's just it's, yeah, yeah we know that it's a it's a completely closed country so 
Bing's up close and taking selfies with MiG-29 pilots of the North Korean Air Force is like, what? Holy... <laughs> you know, I, it just, I mean, I'm look, looking right now across my office here and there's a MiG, MiG-21 kit, a model kit, uh, and I think it was 172nd, I think, um, mm. scale a kit that has been handmade it by um, you know obviously North Korean factory workers whatever, but and you know you, it, it's a good example actually because it's, it seems so normal to be going to an air show and buying a model right that's what anyone would do but it's it's North Korea yeah. <laughs> how have they made a model of a, a MiG twenty one fully armed in North Korean Air Force markings and packaged it so brilliantly and 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 sold it on the day for me to pick up and you know they wanted payment in euros randomly because you weren't allowed to have their currency you're not actually allowed to, to touch or or have any of any of the north korean currency as, as a westerner interesting so again so a normal thing you know you think like just buying it well that's normal but then looking at it deeper it's not because you can't pay for it in their currency you, you have to pay for it in euros uh and euros was their was their choice of currency at the time and and then uh you kind of you know the, just the transaction itself, you know, just taking literally going up to the, the the counter, up to the stand, and choosing a model and taking it away, and you know that again seems normal. But behind the the surface of that, you know, it was really weird. I can remember it clear as day. You know, the the crowd kind of parted as I went up, went up to the stand. This is a stand at an air show in North Korea, right? What? And <laughs> and then. Uh, so the crowd parted and I got out my wallet and handed over 30 euros, whatever it was. And then, again, it seems totally normal. And then the applause started. <laughs> and I had a standing ovation, you know, from probably 150 North Koreans because I bought a model with 30 euros <laughs> in cash. And so everything, literally everything, the most normal things in the world just seems so weird. Like and ne- next to that stand, the North Korean model stand, like who knew? Was it was the brewery? There's seven seven different types of North Korean beer. And you just think, what? How was it? Why? What? And they're all there drinking it. And, you know, it's just a completely normal scene. So it's just a, a, a beer tent with seven different types across across the, the, the pumps. And then and the, the, the girls serving then started karaoke. And they were all singing karaoke and everyone's dancing. And then they've got cards out and they're playing cards on the deck and eating beer snacks. And honestly, you could have been anywhere... But you're not. That you're in North Korea, having just photographed North Korean Air Force MiG 29s doing a display above your head, and I, I, honestly, I I am still struck by it all. I'm still lost for words on it. You just I can't I can't get my head around it. I really can't. It was it was phenomenal. My jaw is on the floor right now. Oh man, I, I tell you, I could I could talk all week about it because it's oh. it's totally crazy. There's uh, two more questions. Uh, first one, and I think it's the most important question of this, is how was the beer? Actually really good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, were, they were serving in like, uh, well, it must have been two-pint glasses. And I'll I tell you, I, I, yeah, it's a good job I wasn't driving. Because <laughs> it was awesome. And we, you know, got talking with, the, you know, obviously no one spoke English, but yeah, you yeah. just there's the uni- universal language of beer. And that, that, again, seems so weird because it was like they did this every day of their lives. It was like they came to a show, they played cards, they drank beer, and they sang karaoke every day because it was so natural. 
And there's then this this Westerner with like, you know, five grand's worth of camera gear around his neck or whatever, uh, standing there next to them. And they'd never even seen a Westerner before and they'd never even seen their Air Force before. And yet it was completely normal. It's just, it's, it's just an amazing paradox, you know, with this. It was amazing. It, it was the easiest way to describe it is that it was like, we know, we know it's a, it's a kind of like parallel universe mm-hmm. over there to, to what we know as society. Uh, but it was like a parallel universe within a parallel universe because it was nothing like yeah. you'd expect. Yeah, it really absolutely. wasn't. But it was then weirder than you expected it to be in, in some areas. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I bet. And my, my last, my last question is, um, Getting over to North Korea, did you uh, you flew from Beijing on Air Croyo? Yes. Uh, were you on the Illusion sixty two, or were you on the Tupolev uh, Tu two hundred four? The two hundred four uh, on the outbound, yeah. And then we did a, and that was into Pyongyang, and then uh, I, I transferred via IL eighteen from Pyongyang. Oh wow! So you're on the the IL eighteen. Mm. So it's speaking all all old propliners. Yeah damn yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you you could you could buy you know they were doing pleasure flights all weekend so you could you could fly in uh what was it you had a an 24 or was it 26 i think it was 24 uh il-18 tu-134 tu-154 tu-204 and il-76 oh and the an-2 oh, wow. as well and the, the yeah. an-2 the an-2 i mean that is a mythical warfare yeah weapon by North Korea, you know they, those are, those things are used by the special forces, and I've I've worked pretty closely with the the Japanese Air Force, and uh, you know one of their main concerns that they train against is is an invasion. Obviously, they've got some pretty hot neighbors, oh, yeah. right? So oh, yeah. you know one of the the, the strategic um, barriers they've got to come across is is that they, the North Korean Air Force have got a lot of AN twos, and they fly very low and very slow which means they're really hard to detect on radar because they can fly a nap of the earth and they're really hard to intercept, right? But And they're, they're then full of North Korean special forces. So it's actually a really <laughs> important tactical asset that these Antonov AN-2s, these biplanes that they've got, and you can go and fly in them at the air show. <laughs> I mean, it's just... I just... It was head-shaking. It was... I couldn't believe I was seeing it. Yeah, you know, I just I mean, if if I wasn't if if I wasn't a, an American citizen with an American passport, <laughs> oh my god, I'd be over there in a heartbeat for that. That's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I would have I would have bought a pleasure flight on the Tupolev one fifty four. Just hands down, that was one of my favorite airplanes. Yes. and just like yeah, no, yeah, take sh- yeah, shut up and beautiful. take my money. <laughs> yeah, it was really was beautiful. The little switches and knobs and curtains and just everything the way the overhead lockers worked and ah oh, just it was magic it really was very you're special just, you're stepping into literally you're stepping into what would have been like air travel in the soviet union that's yes that, absolutely that's, that's uh-huh. for me is that's that's and that for a lot of a lot of aviation bus like us that's some of the one of the coolest things ever so anyway Definitely. Matt, um <laughs> god i'm still my my jostle on the floor from that that is that is <laughs> mine still is it's probably four or five years now <laughs> that is, that's amazing it really is <laughs> sorry one last question then we can move it on from north korea so yeah so when you're yeah, taking sure. photos out there uh we all know yep. photos in north korea are very you have like it's certain things only and in and all that so what was it like being a photographer photographing 
to North Korea some very, very sensitive state items. Well, th- this is one of the things we were most concerned about because obviously I, I was over there to do a job technically, you know, as a, as a reporter yeah. and everything else. Yeah. So if, if the, that, the promise was that it was going to be okay, but if it wasn't, it was going to cause a bit but of an internet, issue. International you know, incident. I don't know quite, yeah, well, yeah, I don't know quite how far you'd be able to take that. <laughs> Nowhere. Uh, but it would have been a real shame. So, uh, but there's a eternal credit. It was, it was a piece of cake. You know, there was some, a lot of, x-raying there was a lot of uh cases being opened and um cameras being checked and all that that kind of thing and they're they obviously um concerned about what you were bringing into the country more so than what what mm, your cameras yeah. were you weren't allowed to bring a laptop in for example um and you weren't the, your cell phones didn't work obviously there's no cell phone network um so that was tricky but quite nice for a little while as well you know you no, no connection to the outside world whatsoever um and in terms of the actual photography, they'd, they'd, uh, the easiest way to get your head around it is that they'd sanitized OneSan. So anything that you saw on OneSan, they expected you to photograph and, and see and shoot and enjoy, okay. you know. So uh, the, the jets were, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being picky now, I suppose you could say, but the jets were freshly painted, you know, really fresh. There wasn't, wasn't even a scratch on a single river anywhere. So it, they were very tidy, very clean, very sanitized, and it was still what it was, you know, still North Korean military stuff and Air Coiro stuff. Um, but you couldn't take, for example, like the, the we were told when we arrived, you had a big briefing before you left China, but you were told when we arrived at uh, Pyongyang that you weren't allowed to photograph the airliners on the ramp. Um, but then when, once you were on the ramp at one time, you could same, same jets, same, same aircraft, but you just, that was, that was the rules. Um, eventually we did actually do some at Pyongyang as well, but that's, that was by the by, you know, that, that was, that's just yeah. an example of how sanitized one sand was for photography. And we, the part of the, the amazing indelible memories I've got of that though, is that we were actually allowed to photograph from outside the buses on the, on the route from where we were staying, which is a story in itself, but route from where we were staying to the airport every day. Um, we were leaving pretty early, you know, kind of like seven ish or something crazy. And, um, uh, and we were allowed to photograph out the bus windows of, of North Korean life and society and housing and accommodation and people and all, all of that kind of thing. Uh, you know, you, we had minders all the time. We had, uh, it was about, I think, three minders per 10 people, something like that. Um, so they were watching what you were doing all the time. But yeah, we, we were pretty much that that group of that group of people that did that were, were the first to be allowed to photograph outside the bus as, as we went to and from our destinations which is a pretty big deal that is really really cool and that's a i mean that has been probably one of the greatest experiences of your life and i know that for a lot a lot of people that would be also but that that is that is that is insane that how they went through all that effort to put on the perception and that's what north korea is a lot of based on the foreigners a lot of perception and all that and all that and and that's pretty and that's cool that you got to experience that and just the amount of monumental effort for a hundred and we said like 150 125 people like westerners to be in there to for them to do that this is a monumental effort it was it was incredible i I went so on, on those numbers when we were there um we we were, I think under this is tricky to remember, but I think from the first impressions we had, the, the there were five thousand people going to be there, 
And uh, once it became clear to them that that wasn't happening, that there was only, you know, a couple of hundred people from around the world going, um, they, I believe they invited the residents of Wonsan to come at short notice, like literally on the day or the day before. And so there were droves of single file North Korean citizens coming out of factories and houses in Wonsan and making the, the kind of like five mile walk or whatever it was uh, from the, the, the town to the airport uh, every day. And they, they thought it was kind of like, you know, that was then the crowd. And we certainly weren't expecting to be sharing the flight line with North Korean citizens. But then at the same time, they had all of that, that entertainment, all that beer stuff, you know, the karaoke, the, the vending stuff. I, I, I don't know. I just, I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I just, yeah. I can't answer yeah, then, <laughs> my yeah, own questions. For those, uh, <laughs> for those North Korean citizens, that's probably the only time that they've ever, ever been able to do that, you know, and... It's, yeah, I mean the passion they showed—they were in tears at like within seconds of the the show starting. You know, there's like parachutists come down, kind of thing. You know, to start the show as as would be normal at any any event. But the patriotism that those guys showed, and you know, the flag waving, crying—they're all sitting in sitting down, cross-legged in in rows in in their individual factories where they came from uh in sections and yeah they were just they were fever pitch at, at anything that moved anything that happened and shrieking and clapping and cheering and crying and you know as i say they were within seconds of the of a parachute just coming out of a mil 17 hip that was above us you know yeah. <laughs> it's just it was oh, that's amazing pretty cool that's yeah. pretty cool anyway so let's start. Let's move it on, and uh, let's let's talk about let's talk about co-op. Um, I know that that for you mm. is, is your baby right now, and how you established that. So yep. this let's get a can you just give us a brief overview of what the uh, center of aviation photography is? Yeah, sure. So it's got its roots uh, from when I was editor of the magazine, and I was building up a lot of relationships with the militaries around the world, and got to know some of them really well. And I thought, well, you know, I'm here reporting on this, and it's going in the magazine, but actually, it, what an experience it would be is if my readers could come along and see this as well so a few, a few of the uh, the air bases i knew particularly well i asked if next time I, I came i could bring some of my readers along and that they agreed and we we made it happen and it was fantastic in fact the first one that did that was the the last f-104 starfighter base at grazanite in uh, in italy so uh, that was the, the kind of the catalyst for it all, really. That set, set up something called the Aviation Photo Club. Um, this is now in the early 2000s. And that ran for a few years until I left in 2008. And then uh, picked back up in its new guise as, as the Centre of Aviation Photography. Um, because I still felt that, you know, the, those years we did of, of getting... Of having people experience photography in a, in a new way of, of access and uh, development and training and you know shadowing me what I, what I did and how I did it and traveling all around the world doing so was was so special that people actually really missed it when it stopped so there was there was quite a demand for for a new thing to happen especially uh, now that digital had taken hold as well so uh, digital really came about, you know, for the masses, I suppose, in the mid 2000s. I, I went digital in 2005. So between that kind of like 2008 period where that where that setup finished, and then me starting it again in 2015, pretty much the world had all gone digital, and I really felt that I still had something to give into the aviation photography world. I still loved it. I still had the passion, you know. Obviously, as I said right at the start, it, you have to have that 
passion within you so it never really left although I came out of there doing it as a, as a job full time so um, we decided Steve Comber and I to set up Co-op in 2015 to really take small groups of photographers around the world to events and whether that's a, an air show as such or an event we've created ourselves to to immerse yourself in photography and the experience and the adventure of it so small groups uh, perhaps it's a one-day shoot perhaps it's a two-day or a long weekend or maybe even a two-week shoot all around the world um, and we also then run smaller events in the UK like workshops and everything else as well so we, we were on the road around probably uh, upwards of 30 35 weeks a year on photography trips um, and it was a pretty you know pretty hectic pretty full-on and, and very successful it was you know with some of the things we'd managed to achieve was, was you know amazing quite quite honestly it was it was incredible uh, but obviously then covid came along <laughs> so that all came uh, to a grinding halt in what like february march 2020 and that brings us to uh co-op online and so yeah. you just launched uh co-op online and that's and, and that's if i just if i understand this right that's like for a lot of like the the up-and-coming avh photographer to help them out and stuff like that yeah, I mean, it crosses. Uh, you can join at any any level, really. If I mean, if you're if you're just getting into it, it, it certainly, as you say, it's a fantastic place to really learn the trade and and uh, be inspired and and learn different parts of photography and from whether it's your camera or or the processing of the software. But it it's kind of like. I would say for anyone that wants to take it further, so wherever you are, whether you, if you're a, a semi-pro and want to get really into it and start making some some money out of it, out of your pursuit, or start getting published, that kind of thing, then this it will absolutely be the place for you as well. Or you know, right at the at the at the starting end of the scale, if you're just picking up a camera and want to know the ins and outs of how it works and and what's best, then yeah, definitely. So the the overall thing is if you want to take it to the your next level then it's absolutely the place for you no matter what your starting point is but uh so it that came about from sort of march onwards i started developing it and we launched it uh, about three months ago now so um yeah it was almost to the day actually of, of when co-op sees travel operations that we launched co-op online there was about a year year's worth of development and it's my, my aim is is it for for it to be the the number one resource for the aviation photographer for information and education training and entertainment and entertainment's quite a, an interesting word to to bring into a hobby isn't it because you know you, we, we love doing what we're doing and we love the experiences of it and everything everything else and uh, I there were some real gaps there you know there, there wasn't anything that I would then pick up in an evening to to watch or to read uh, that that fed my aviation photography uh, need for, for consumer content you know obviously there's then been awesome podcasts etc explode as well now it's you know, yeah. <laughs> hence we're talking right yeah. um so but th there was a there was a, a real gap for the you know the aviation photography specific uh entertainment so i set up a what, what i've called co-op tv it's actually you know it's a full tv station and there's 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 a uh, a, t a TV channel where, where you, you go on assignment with me, you go on shoots with me, all the behind the scenes stuff, you see how I'm thinking, what I'm doing, what I'm doing with the cameras, what I'm doing with positioning, and then I come home and then I edit the pictures and it's all recorded and you can see how I, d how I think and what I do and how I do it and when I do it. Uh, and then there's there's kind of like heritage stuff. There's all there's old, old uh, you know nostalgic stuff. There's um, 
crikey i mean the, the, there's about 12 different channels on there uh all all aimed at aviation photography entertainment and it's 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 gone down really well you know the, the, it's uh it's an awesome place for people to hang out as it, it's social media can be quite a toxic place sometimes so having a, a, a place where people can go you know what I don't know what this button does on my camera and please don't shoot me or, or, or you know, because you can get really shot down sometimes oh, yeah. in, on forums and everything else. If you, if you don't know something and, or you, you are new to it, I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a weird space sometimes. So yeah, I've created a, a space within co-op online for, for people to just go, you know what? I, I want to know how to print. I want to know, uh, which, um, stabilization mode to use on my lens. I want to know which, uh, where, where you can view the aircraft at a base, you know, and some of those some of those questions sometimes can be quite tricky to answer, ask and answer. But within uh, Car App Online, it's a really cool space of of helping each other's photography out, uh, and yeah, and <laughs> it's been good fun. I've really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, that's awesome how you created that space for the people that you know they don't want to ask a question that might be too embarrassing you know i like i've had those questions too and i've been embarrassed to ask it should be something that sure, yeah. so i think that's that, that's a, that's an awesome thing on yeah it's a good concept exactly it, it's really good now i think that it would really help that person you know not like okay never mind i don't like this community anymore i don't want to be a part of it so i think that's a great way for them to hey you know we are a welcoming community and stuff like that we want to see you succeed yes and stuff like that yeah yeah i mean i've had people say you know it's like really reignited the passion for the hobby again you know which is uh, it's it's just an awesome outcome i mean i just that's that's amazing that that's yeah yeah super happy with that absolutely and so you, like you said you've done it could be like a day shoot or a two week shoot and all around the world. Yeah. So what 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 has your been your favorite um, co op event or, or or trip that that you've done so far? Um. Well, we. Ooh. <laughs> been a bit of lot. I'm gonna probably say yeah, dude. Um, Japan is amazing, and you honestly the the culture and. Again, the the food and the aeroplanes and everything about that country is just awesome. You can't go wrong. Um, but in in terms of like a a dumbfounded experience, you know, not in the North Korea wise because that's just, that's a category of its yeah. own. But I would I would actually say Alaska was right up there. It I have never seen aviation used like that. You know, and like I said earlier, you have to see it to believe it. But you know, this the way they rely on aviation to survive. And the way they do it, and the way it's the, a, a part of life, um, really grabbed me. You know, you couldn't help as an aviation enthusiast to be totally blown away by the scene up there. You know, the the, the float planes and the cargo planes, and the the whether that's piston or, or huge great big jets coming in with full of stuff uh, out of Asia going into Europe. You know, whatever, just all of that stuff, and then uh, you know, a pretty impressive uh, military scene as well. Um, and the, the people and the way they embrace life. And I, I, so I'd, I would say that the trips we've done in Alaska, really, because it's, it's very seat of the pants as well. You know, I'm used to kind of like planning military operations months or maybe sometimes years in advance and, you know, uh, it, working in that intense environment. But Alaska is, is just not like that. You know, it's just kind of like get up there and see what you can make happen. <laughs> so, yeah, working with um, some guys that, you know, that, uh, know the area really well and uh, have a lot of contacts in the region as well. So I, I work with a, with a guy from uh, from Austria, funnily enough, in in that area. 
and we we produce yeah it's just been amazing the results that have come out of that you know the just the general aviation scene i mean like taking immense pleasure in shooting everything from a a cessna to a huge you know 747 cargo to a dc6 or c46 or uh crikey you know float planes and or aggressor f16s you know it's just wow <laughs> alaska really does capture the essence of aviation you know you got everything like it said, does you got everything yeah. from a cessna 172 to a 747 to f35s and f22s up there it really does capture the essence of aviation yeah yeah and uh, yeah, I also work with the coast guard over there as well oh, yeah. and uh you know crikey alaska's weather and environment and you know cool. and that that's extreme stuff so you know the coast guard's mission is extreme enough as it is uh you know search and rescue and all that kind of stuff so doing it in alaska where everything's magnified by about 10 yeah <laughs> uh, it, that was yeah it, I, I can't i can't fail to be permanently permanently in love with alaska i think now <laughs> yeah and it's actually pretty funny is in 2014 uh, when i worked for a major airline up there uh in boise but a major airline uh my one of mm-hmm. my good high school friends um was, was stationed at coast guard station kodiak so my other oh well, my other go. friends yeah. we decided we want to go visit him for the weekend so we, we nice. flew up from Boise, took a red eye from Portland to Anchorage, and then we slept in the Anchorage airport, and then we got a flight from Anchorage to Kodiak, and we got to go on. We were on base at Coast Guard Station Kodiak, and it, for, if you never have been on there, it's, it's, so the airport is shared with the Coast Guard Station, so there's one road that yeah. um, connects like the main gate, and it crosses the runway. And so you have to stop and look. So we're driving. Yep. And so we look left, nothing. We look right, and sure as shit, here comes a C-130 rolling down the yes. road, and it goes right in front of us. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, that was so cool. And this all the the the, the dolphins and no, not the they don't the dolphins. They had the the Jayhawks there. Uh-huh. Um, yep. But yeah, that was. Yeah, that was very really special. Cool. Really, really cool experience. Just being up there in, in Kodiak, Alaska. Just yeah, that was that was awesome. But so you said Coat came from your time at Combat Aircraft. Um, yeah. So being the editor in chief, what are what was the what was that job duty like? And 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 for somebody that doesn't know or not into the publication scene, what what does that job duty really entail? So what were you doing? on a daily basis with, with that? Well, it's not perhaps as glamorous as, as you might think. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's cool and it was uh, amazing. And, I, you know, I did it for 10 years. So, you know, it's a big part of my life and I absolutely love it. And it taught me a lot of things around uh, writing and publication and the whole magazine industry and stuff. But it really, really it was a very small team. You know, it's kind of myself and one other. Uh, and that's it on the editorial staff, literally. And then we had uh, obviously subcontractors for for um, contributors uh, and like a and a secretary and a designer, so you'd have the, have a, a a wider spread team. But in terms of editorial, it was really small. It's very um, very small and efficient. But I suppose back then as well, it was initially just the combat aircraft was uh, was every other month, 
and Aircraft Illustrated was monthly. So we were on a, on a cycle and sometimes you'd hit a, an extremely big, busy week, you know, it, where there were deadlines left, right and centre and crazy stuff going on. And then other weeks you wouldn't need to pick anything up for that whole week, you know. So it was very cyclical on that. But then sometimes you'd find those weeks, you know, it's like a, a five five week month sometimes it would creep in but when i when i started in 98 you know we, we didn't even have email you know so wow. i was telling my kids the other day you know that but up to when i was 30 years old I, I didn't have email there was no social media you know or anything like that so you know they, they're living you know sort of 18 17 now and living that life and they would have another half of their life to go before they even received an email, you know, back back in that in the in terms of <laughs> relative technology. So we would uh, we would be saving our design work on a on a uh, what were they called? Um, wasn't it a floppy disk? But it was the next one up from that. And it, compact disk CDs. No, ne- next one. Uh, it's like had, had, it could take like a hundred megabytes, which is a big deal. <laughs> Oh, oh, I, I know you're... Yeah, big fat things. I can't remember what they were called. Anyway, so we, we'd then save it to those and we'd physically drive it to the designer's house. <laughs> and then wow. he'd design it and then we'd pick it, pick those discs back up and then obviously take them to the printer and uh, then we'd get proofs back, you know, physical printed proofs wow. that you'd have to then write on and make the changes. But my boss, you know, Alan, he, before that, he was, he was obviously been part of it even earlier where it was all made up from from printing blocks and stuff you know so uh yeah i, I came at a relatively <laughs> relatively advanced stage but not that not that much um so uh, yeah then you we were we bought in internet into uh into the company because we could recognize the the <laughs> the benefits of sending an email <laughs> yeah. and you know the, on the on the old AOL dial up and everything we were on oh and, boy yeah man it was it was uh real pioneering stuff and we had to have our own email addresses because the company didn't necessarily believe this was the way to go but we wanted to do it because it was it was our own you know we could see the yeah. benefits to it so um we just you had our own own emails systems on AOL dial up and use that to to communicate and then gradually obviously it went ballistic and we were then able to communicate communicate worldwide with uh, contributors from all over the world so we'd, we'd then sometimes commission stuff but most often it would come in just through the post to be honest you know again people weren't taking uh digital pictures you know this is 98 to 2008 so you know we, we would be relying on people sending slides or prints uh predominantly slides through the post as an editorial submission and we'd sit there over a coffee in the morning and, and discuss what we were going to do uh what what had arrived what the balance was like in the magazine because that's really important especially in aircraft illustrated where it's a mix of civil military and historic you know you couldn't have too much military or too much civil whatever so you had to had to really balance the types of features out which we'd do then on a what was called a flat flat plan uh, it's literally a, a printed A4 piece of paper with the page numbers on it, and you'd write in there what each article was going to be, and then cross it off. One cross that it's the designer, two crosses that it's back, and you know, crazy stuff. And, and it would be unrecognisable now. Obviously, that changed by 2008. That that changed. Um, it was a bit more high tech than that, but um, you know, certainly that's that's very fond memories of doing it that way. And oh, yeah. uh, we we just then compile the mag uh, every on those editorial cycles and i'd still absolutely love to 
to go into Smith's and see it on the shelves, you know, <laughs> and that's something I still get a buzz from today. You know, crikey, it's crazy that uh, I can get a, an article in a magazine today, and you know, still love to go into Smith's and say, "Look, that's mine. I did that." <laughs> Sad but true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's interesting with with my like my age group being twenty six, and you know, we were still growing up in the old kind of like before like internet was like you know a big deal and uh you know we we're still like riding bikes i mean i usually every summer until like 2009 10 whatever before i got like the sports and all like we were like riding bikes we were out there like doing this like but we weren't, we weren't doing a lot of video games yeah. and stuff like that because that wasn't really a, like online video games wasn't really a big sure. thing yet like consoles and stuff like i didn't get my first smartphone until my senior year of high school <laughs> yeah I, you know it's just like and then now like now it's like oh wow like you know some kid showed up with an iphone back in 2010 in high school yeah. and there's like holy crap wow. right now everybody <laughs> has one it's just you know, so yeah. it's, it's kind of like I understand that in a way because like I still have, um, <laughs> I, I like as even as a kid, even how terrible the photographer was, I still like went to like the airport or air shows and I took you know like those little disposable Kodak cameras mm. and I took photos with those. I don't know where the roles of film are, but I swear <laughs> to God, I still have them. Definitely, and, I hope so. <laughs> I don't know what's on them, but I hope there's that one. Oh, you gem. never know. You never know. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, I, I really do. Yeah, I really do understand that, especially kind of like the gen, like my age group right now is like we were in that traditional period from like old ways to like where where we're able to do this talking like right now. Nice. You know, Twenty yeah. years yeah, ago. It's crazy, isn't it? Nev- yeah. yeah. When you think um, about it, because it's very easy just to you know think like okay, this is just everyday normal life. You know, I'm talking to you over yeah. over the internet and you know this is going on a podcast and you know i can talk about it on social media and i can put it into you know this this amazing tv station that i've got and it's like hold on a minute <laughs> when did all this yeah. happen <laughs> Man, if, if we were doing this 10 years yeah. ago we'd be having the dialogue tone still going right now <laughs> yeah crazy uh, um well real quick one uh one last thing before we uh start wrapping wrapping mm. this up is at your with your time with combat aircraft mm. what was your favorite shoot that you got to do uh while you're with the combat aircraft team that would be one of two three so uh tricky one i think so there was the f-104s that i did because and that's the, mm-hmm. i would choose that one because of what it led to you know that was the the catalyst for kind of like i want to take people with me on this experience and, yeah. and show people a, a side of aviation that, that that's not necessarily everyday uh access you know um and yeah what that then developed to uh would always be special i think then another one would be the the, the stuff i did with the f117s at holloman um that yeah. was that was monumental <laughs> there's no other word to describe <laughs> that uh and yeah just forever grateful for that opportunity to be able to go out there and, and do that and call it work you know crikey uh and then the yeah. the, uh, the third one would be the f14s uh final cruise um on operation iraqi freedom and being able to be a part of that uh and fly with those jets yeah just great days a lot of cool yep. stuff man a lot of cool stuff stuff that you look back on and like damn i actually did it that. really is that's pretty yeah cool. it it that's really cool it is yeah oh it's incredible <laughs> yeah it is. it is anyway um 
just be respectful of your time, so let's start wrapping this up, man. Sure. Um, do you have any tips or words of encouragement for the uh, listener out there? Yeah. Um, yeah, a few. And, you know, there's... I don't know. There's a couple of ways I can go on this, but I, I think, I think in terms of your gear, I, I would get to know your camera inside out uh, and really know not necessarily how it works in beautiful light sunny days, but when things start to go wrong. So, like, what what are its weaknesses? What doesn't it do very well? So that you can then anticipate what happens when it does go wrong. You know, when the when it's against the sun or the or the cloud comes over or it's pouring with rain or you know um, the aircraft's too far away or it's moving really fast or you're too close. You know, all of those kind of things. What do you do? How do you do that? So, knowing your gear really well, especially your camera. You know, in terms of the buttons and what they do. Learn it with your eyes closed you know literally so you know that if you need to adjust the iso or exposure compensation you can do that with your eyes shut so you don't have to think about it and then you get the shot right um and i'd also then say that the other part of that is obviously then knowing your software in terms of post-processing you know really learn it know know what it can do so that you're almost shooting in a way that you know how you're going to process it and you know the end result in mind that's that's a really uh, certainly how i work all the time is is I, I shoot with the end result in mind so uh that makes it easier because i know my camera well and it makes it easier because i know my software well and then i'd say uh get out there in all weathers uh you know it, photography isn't just about the the sunny shots it the the drama of the elements uh, can greatly add to it and it's all about the experience then as well isn't it it becomes a bit more of an adventure the more you harder you have to work <laughs> so <laughs> i would i would do that for sure and uh you know be inspired by by all those amazing we've got some incredible tools at our fingertips you know the the social media world of being able to see millions of images at the flick of a thumb you know just get inspired by by other people's work but don't necessarily then you know copy it as such but use it to to develop your own style and, and niche within uh your own interest and do what do what you like to do do what enjoys it, what you enjoy doing and which leads me on to another point around um perhaps the social media side because it's quite easy to slip into that you know you're you're photographing purely uh to to be the first or to get the, the the kind of ego that comes from social media and everything else and that's not always what it's about you know it, it it is about enjoying it and taking the camera away from your eyes sometimes and just viewing aviation for what it is this incredible spectacle um so yeah don't don't always go for that social media thing around likes and ego and you know just do it do it for because you love it and that you'll you'll certainly get better photographs as a result because you're enjoying it more um and you know i suppose finally as a wrapping all of that up was ju is just be a nice guy you know just don't don't fall foul to uh <laughs> egos or anything else you know I, I, I could go on a little while about that one but just be just be a good dude and and be nice to people and the the universe is nice to you back trust me absolutely that's so well said i mean i can i dude i so much agree with you saying that social media is not about followers it's not about life it's about you just sharing mm -hmm. your work and a lot of up-and-coming photographers they really need to understand that they really mm. do because it's it really like i just took a, a month break off oh, instagram right, yeah. which is my biggest social media platform and i i, I loved it i loved every moment wow. of it because i felt like i proved myself that i can disconnect nice. from this but also it felt like 
I was shooting for myself again, right? The time before this was, social media was a big deal, right? Like, I was shooting for myself. I wasn't worrying about posting. I wasn't yeah. worrying about, will people like this? I wasn't worrying about all the stupid drama that comes off That's social well media. That's well said. But most, but most importantly, I spent more time with the people nice. I Nice. You know, I, 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 I caught a mountain bike. So I went mountain bike with my girlfriend. I started working out more and stuff I'm like jealous, that. dude. I might have to try this. <laughs> I, mean, seriously, I mean, seriously, like, if anybody is if you just want to just disconnect and take a break just leave your account active but just delete it yeah just, just, just log out of your yeah. account just, it is just because it, it just it really clears yeah. your mind and it clears your soul and then you realize how much more time you have yeah. on your hands like i had so much more time wow like i actually got some projects done that i wanted to get done and you know i'm, I'm out there I'm not worried about, oh, no, I have to post this today, mm. or, oh, it's about this, or there's like, hey, this airplane's coming in, you should go get it, and like, well, but I, I didn't know, but like, you know, it's like people, like, I didn't get a heads up, like, hey, this is coming mm. in, okay, but if I, you know, now I'm, I'm, if I, like, oh, I'll probably go get that airplane, but I'm glad I didn't, because now i got to spend more time with, with, with the Yeah, that's really that cool, man, really cool. Yeah, you know, what you said is just being a nice person, too, is, you know, help out, help out the Massive. younger generation, you know, we won't, we won't, we want to keep growing this so we you know we got to show that this community isn't all about egos and that sort of stuff so that is so well said on your part as well um but speaking of social media and all that well where can people find your work i know it's in a lot <laughs> of places everything. but yeah. um, it, in your immediate work where can people go out and and, and see that and so yeah i mean to be honest, most of my stuff, uh, because part of this is my 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 life and my work now, you know. So a lot of a lot of my work and uh, social media stuff gets concentrated into co-op online for obvious reasons. Um, I do obviously have my own Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook and everything else, um, but I don't know. I don't I don't use it as much as I should, you know. So I mean, my Instagram is Rich Cooper UK. Um, and Co-op has, a, has an Instagram as well, Centre of Aviation Photography, and that's the UK spelling, C-E-N-T-R-E. Uh, Centre of Aviation Photography has a Facebook page. I have, obviously, I'm on Facebook. It's just myself, Rich Cooper, um, and Twitter and everything else as well. But, you know... <sighs> Yeah, it, it, it's okay if you don't follow me. It really yeah. is. I, this isn't about getting me likes. I would strongly recommend you take take a look at Co-op Online because everything I do, uh, all the behind-the-scenes stuff, everything I shoot, uh, everything I I do within aviation is is shared in Co-op Online. That that is my my baby, and that's where uh, people's photography is is to use a pun. You know, taking off. You know, it, it really is. It's 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 a bit of a game changer. Um, so I would say just check it out. Check that out, and and yeah, let me know what you think. Absolutely. And uh, we'll put a link for Co-op Online in the episode description, so all you guys can go check that out as well and um but rich thank you so much for being a great sport this wasn't this is the awesome conversation just it, <laughs> i loved it I, yeah thank I, you i think though i think if you guys didn't enjoy this you gotta re-listen to this because i don't think you realize how insanely cool it is to go to a north korean air show i don't think people realize how difficult <laughs> that is too <laughs> but man if you guys didn't enjoy all of this man uh, 
I did. I thoroughly enjoyed this, man. I yeah, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for being a great sport about this and, and able to, to reschedule and do this. But um, oh yeah, no, but anyway, no guys, this is the part of the episode where I got to do my spiel. And if uh, if you guys know anybody who you think would love to come talk aviation with me here on the ABSP, um, shoot me an email askbotterspodcast at gmail you always can send me a direct message on Twitter and Instagram at BOI Spotter and uh, hit me up on Facebook. Send a Facebook message to the Facebook page, Aviation Spotters Podcast. And also check out the YouTube page. Great resource for people that don't have um, Spotify, Apple Podcast, or any of the other mainstream podcast platforms. So please go check us out on YouTube as well. And um, But yeah, Rich, anything else to add before we close her out here? No, I, I just uh, loved it, and I, I just love being part of this new media of aviation photography. It's, it's great, you know. It's really brought it home to me uh, how, how much of a dinosaur I am <laughs> as well. <laughs> you know, talking about how it used to be, crikey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, super happy to also be embracing uh, all of this new movement in in our wonderful yeah, hobby. Absolutely. And um, anyway, Rich, again, thank you for coming on. And as as always, Pleasure. guys. Uh, keep those batteries charged and those cameras ready and we'll catch you on another episode of the aviation spotters podcast